Well, good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill, and these are my journals out loud. And this is, I'm recording this, Friday morning, August 25th, 2023. Can you believe how fast this time has gone? It seems like it was just July. But we're going to take a deep breath. We're going to launch in. And if you're new, the really the purpose of these podcasts has been and is for Those of us who I call wired for danger, meaning when you see danger, your default is to run towards it. Everybody has a sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system that works together. We all have fight, flight, freeze, but I believe, and this is my theory, that each of us has a danger default to run towards it and fight against it, to run away from it, or to freeze up in the face of it. And I think I was just listening. You know, I have had so many overwhelming thoughts this week. I can hardly even know what to say. And I, you know, had intended to come on because I listened to a podcast not too long ago. Sometimes I go back and listen to myself and I'm like, oh, I am just getting super heavy and intense. Uh, But as I'm listening to other people that I would put under the Wired for Danger heading out in the world, they're all very heavy and intense. And we're all feeling, those of us who are this Wired for Danger group, looking, seeing, and being crushed by the overwhelming amount of terrible things that are happening to us. And uh, I just was listening to a man named Fish in Hawaii. It was a little brief interview because what we're seeing in the headlines right now is some of the shocking truths coming out of what happened in the Maui fire in Lahaina and how, and this is so difficult to believe, but this is the essence of everything I've been trying to communicate. And yes, this is heavy and intense because this is survival. Uh, We are at war and I don't know uh, how to deal with that any more than you do, but there are just some realities to a world at war, a country at war with itself that we do not understand because we've never had this experience. And all we've been exposed to are movies and books and stories, but the personal experience and who you will be within that moment, you just don't know until you're there. And what he's talking about, and I'm listening to him and he's talking about how he's walking around and I'm like, well, that's a lot of time to be walking to all these different places. So there was time about cars being held back by a police officer who he spoke to, who told him, I'm under orders to keep people here and not let them out. Meanwhile, the fire is advancing. The road behind the police officer is open. There's no reason that anybody can put forth at this time that the cars could not have been let out to go to leave the fire zone and all those people died in their cars waiting for permission to evacuate from a fire that was rapidly approaching them. Now, 
most of us sit around and say, well, I would never do that. I would just break the rules and I would just uh, do whatever I could or I jump out of the car and run. And this is why I keep trying to talk about these things, because we really don't know who we are until, you know, the fire is at our heels. And, you know, to hear a story about a police officer watching fire kill people and still not stepping out of the way and letting people pass him. Now, you know, the problem with all this conspiracy stuff is that we act or people who promote a lot of these ideas don't have any sense of who we are as human and why we do what we do because it's you think well nobody would just stand there and watch people die other than you know a super sociopath or a super psychopath and that's not true it's just not true most humans do not do well in the face of danger We seek authority to help us feel safe. And the police officer was the symbol of authority. And to the police officer, his superiors are the symbol of his authority. And it's so much easier to follow orders. At least that's what we tell ourselves. Because we cannot imagine that people who are in charge of us that we've given our power and authority to would intentionally hurt us. It's so difficult to make that shift. And it's so shocking when we hear these stories of what that really looks like, because so much of the idea around that is an idea. It's an abstraction. It's a story. It's uh, if you've ever watched the videos of World War II in which the Jewish people are just marched out and shot wave after wave and not one person fights back. Uh, you know, I've talked about um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn talking about uh, in the beginning, it's, in the, it's not even in the book, it's in the foreword of Gulag Archipelago where he says, you know, they came and they would disappear you at night. They were intentionally promoting as much fear as they could, but everybody just sat in their houses behind their door and hid and shook in fear, praying it wasn't them. Instead of descending with what he said, with whatever you have, a hammer a uh, rolling pin, whatever you had, and attack the soldiers. His point being, if the soldiers knew that they might die, how often would they really want to come in and try to disappear people? But they moved without fear because nobody fought back. And it's something that we see through history over and over and over. I spoke about that in the podcast, History Cycles and Stories, because these patterns repeat over and over and over. And because we are in a period of existence in which we've watched movie after movie after movie, uh, we don't have oral stories in terms of our ancestors trying to teach us through our personal history. We have all these manipulated stories that there's going to be a single superhero that will swoop in and save us. And even the man who's sharing this, who was an elder within the community, he wasn't yelling at people, get out of the car and make a run for it. He was just walking around watching them sit around 
waiting to die, basically. And he didn't say anything. He didn't bang on doors. He didn't yell at the police officer. He didn't say, warning, warning, warning. He just watched and he left. And they sat in their cars and they died. And it's so difficult to imagine that that you would do that. And yet, throughout the course of history, we do it over and over and over again. And there's a tiny group of people who scream and yell. And this is, you know, the wire for danger people. Warning, warning, warning. I can see the fire coming. Why won't you listen? I can see the fire coming. And, you know, and I've talked about the people online and everywhere who are yelling, warning, 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 and they're yelling louder and louder. And, and I, you know, have been frustrated because I'm like, that doesn't work. You can yell, yell, yell. And this is my point is you can sit in the car. You cannot move as you're watching and fire advance because there's a single person or two in a uniform standing in front of you telling you to just stay while the flames are coming. And it's to make that mental shift, right, that says, uh, I'm not going to follow the rules. I'm going to get out of the car and I'm going to run or I'm going to pull the car out of this line and I'm going to drive around you. How many movies have we watched, right, where the cars just blast through the barricades? It is very difficult to understand who we are as human and what our nature is, because most of us have not experienced these extreme events that are asking us to make decisions and move past our fear. And and it's just, this is such an example of the fear of not following the rules, the fear of of testing or pushing against authority is so strong that you will watch the flames come engulf you and kill you. And every movie, right, is the the volcano is erupted and that great big puff of ash is right at their heels, right? And they time it because it's graphics. It's not real. You know, where the people are running or driving and they escape just in the nick of time. We've been indoctrinated with all these ideas and images that have nothing to do with the way most of us will react. I mean, just look at what nature does. There is no animal that just sits in the fire zone in the wilderness and lets itself get burned, right? They all make a run for it. <clears throat> now, they may not get out in time because you can see that when you go back and you look at the ashes, you can see the animals trying to get away. There is no animal that does not run when it sees the fire, when it smells the smoke, it gets agitated, it, it moves, it trusts itself, it trusts its senses, it listens to its own inner instinct or wisdom, and it runs. It's just humans who will sit and follow rules. And, you know, as much as I talk about all this Wired for Danger stuff, I was brought up to be a rule follower. You know, uh, when I was losing my house, I knew there was a day that I had to make a decision to not pay my house mortgage. 
But I was a rule follower because I did not perceive it as a danger. I spent every penny I had, all my retirement, all my savings, all my money to pay that damn mortgage until the moment came where the house wasn't worth anything and I had no more money. Because I followed the rules, I lost everything. And, and that was a real eye-opening situation for me because <clears throat> I would consider myself, right, a rebel, somebody who pushes back, somebody who was incredibly responsible. I considered it an honor to be loyal and to be... Uh, to honor my commitments. And I've never in my life had not made a payment. I've never missed a payment or a bill. I've never did not follow through with an agreement, you know, in terms of my finances. And I had to, at some point, you know, I had to make that decision to not pay the mortgage. And it was so upsetting. You know, in hindsight, I think how stupid was I that I did not do something differently because I was so afraid of breaking the rules. I was so indoctrinated into believing that the story that if I had a house and a 401k uh, and I followed the rules, I would be provided, I would be taken care of, right? My retirement, my old age would be certain. And it wasn't, I didn't, and there's nothing about our future. Now, you know, it's very difficult to make these transitions. You know, we're in such a transitory phase with civilization because there's things going on that just didn't happen to our parents and our grandparents in a way that we understand it, unless you uh, came from another country. But here in America and most of Western civilization, you know, it was World War II was the last biggie. But even that had a recovery period. You know, what we're entering at this point doesn't have a recovery period in the way that we've understood it, meaning all the systems are in place. It's more like the American Revolution where everything that you knew as safety will be gone and you have to rebuild. Only, I guess it's more like the, the plague, the Black Plague, this time, a lot of people will be gone too, which was the Renaissance. It, it, it created a whole different process of, of interacting in community because so many people died. And so we're, we're not in a shift that is without precedent, but we are for our personal experience and our personal histories. And, you know, that's been one of the questions, you know, I've been like, ugh, I cannot keep doing these heavy, intense podcasts, right? Because I don't want to listen to them either. And yet I can't not listen because this, we're in such a moment of time that is so, so rare. It's, and it's so overwhelming. And, you know, and I'm like you, like, I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to think about these things. Uh, I'm tired of people yelling at all these problems. I uh, have uh, had my podcast person, I list, used to use Stitcher for my podcast and they went out of business. So I've switched over to Spotify. And so one of the things I found, I don't know if you guys remember Art Bell, he was the coast to coast guy before George Norrie. And I never listened to him. I mean, I just was not a late night person. So I'm familiar with his name, but I never had listened to the overnight radio shows. And 
Uh, right now, they're putting out the old shows from 1996 and 97. And so I've started listening or trying to. Some of them, the audio is too bad. But it's shocking to me as I'm listening to the people of that time, which is 25 years ago, talk about things that are that feel like here and now, talking about the weather, talking about the impending fear states of all the different things that could happen to us. And I'm thinking, you know, we've been having these fear of the future conversations for so long. Uh, and how do you know, right, when it's true? How do you know when it's happening to you? And, and you know, listening to them, I'm thinking, you know, it's... It's not healthy to be in a constant state of fear and impending doom because it pushes us into our nervous system responses that end up killing us because either, you know, when we don't want to hear the warnings, we don't want to listen, we push back. Remember, it's always want and don't want. You're always... Uh, push, pull, pause, right? If you're, if somebody's pushing at you and it's something you don't want to hear and know, then you're going to pull away. You're going to run away or you're going to shut down or you're going to avoid and not take that information in because the other person won't stop telling you something you don't want to hear, right? And that's sort of the way we are right now. And to the point where, we don't know what's true. We don't know what's real. It's just like a school of fish, right? We're just being pushed this way, that way, and we don't know what we're heading into. And the more heightened we are in our fear, the more likely we are to follow the lemmings off the cliff. And nobody wakes up thinking, oh, I would just sit at a police barricade which it was probably nothing but a guy in his car, right? And it wasn't a forest. They could drive around him. Uh, nobody wakes up thinking, oh, I'll just sit in my car because some guy is telling me to not move while a fire comes up my backside and kills me. Nobody thinks when they wake up in the morning that's going to happen to them or that they're going to respond that way. And so when I say simple things like, you know, there's nothing more important than to know who you are, that's why. It's for those exceedingly rare moments where it's life and death. And when we're in a chronic state of fear, we lose our ability to determine what's real and what's not real because we're just in a constant state of overload. And that becomes a default mechanism in and of itself. I can't cope with it. And I feel like that right now. I cannot cope with this constant impending doom and gloom crap, right? But I also am like, how can I not listen? Because things are accelerating. You know, th things are happening that are requiring all of us to make decisions. Uh, and, you know, I'm trying to decide if we're going into shut lockdown mode again, uh, can I travel? You know, I can't stay here. I can't take the cold. Uh, but can I travel? It's just, there's so much coming at us. And 
you know, the, anyways, the point being is that all of this stuff is happening and it's accelerating and mentally and emotionally, it's so difficult to manage all this. And we don't have the capacity to live in a heightened state of stress indefinitely. It, it always causes some kind of breakdown within us. And the, 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 the reality is that if we don't understand this about ourselves, then we're going to get caught short like those people who are following the rules and the consequences of that. Now, there's all these other pieces. I was listening to uh, Michael Yawn, who's making the rounds right now. And he's the guy who goes, he's a combat uh, correspondent. He goes around the world and his whole purpose in life is warning, warning, warning. And he made this comment about how uh, a couple years ago he could see what was coming. And so he bought this super expensive high end respirator because he could see that, you know, there was going to be more risk and especially being, you know, on the front lines, he wanted to be able to protect himself. And, you know, the thing that flashed for me immediately was, well, but if I'm protected, I still can't protect my dogs. What am I going to do? Right. I can put a respirator on, but I can't put anything on the dogs to protect them. And what am I going to do about that? I mean, that was like my immediate thought. Well, what's the point of protecting myself if I can't protect them? And, you know, we there's all these things that we think about that we can do to prevent, to solve, to take care of everything. But it's impossible to be 100% prepared. And it's impossible to know how you'll respond in that moment Unless we really understand who we are. And and if you're somebody like a Michael Young, you are tested and true. You know, Green Beret, since he was 19, I think, he's been all over the world. He's in constant push mode. He knows how he's going to respond in the face of danger. It's, he's built his life as a wired-for-danger person. And he will always be the push and it's, it's good to know who you are. But the, most people don't have that clear understanding of who they will be in crisis. And the reality is, is we haven't been at war. We haven't needed to know these things about ourselves. And, you know, one of the, the, the things I've been thinking about is how do we as humans uh, make this mental and emotional shift into this reality that we are in war right now. I've been saying it. I mean, you can go back and look at the videos. I remember saying it uh, in, I think, March of 2020. Like, we are at war. And we were at war before then. We just haven't made that mental and emotional shift because it doesn't look like a movie. There's no bombs coming in. There's no uh, clear military presence 
around us. We don't understand what war is in this moment in time. And I think uh, Michael Flynn, General Flynn, I heard him recently say, you know, we're in what's called fifth generational war. He can see it, but he's trained to understand it. But he's not really doing anything that would make you think we're at war. He's just going around talking to people. And and how we still haven't made that mental and emotional shift into the reality that we are at war because we can still do our day-to-day things. Most of us are not impacted. Most of us still can get up and do the same 24-hour routine that we've been doing for however long we've been alive, right? And War doesn't feel real until it looks like something that we've seen in a movie or we've read in a book or we've heard in a story. And so it doesn't feel real. And we have a lot of people running around warning us about specific events and making offhand comments about war, but we don't understand that we are in it right now and the ramifications of that because what's been true in every war is not everybody is affected i think about back in the american revolution where you you the news that you got was you know 2 to 6 months old you had to, if you were in some kind of remote town you know let's say you were in maine while they're fighting the war in virginia it probably wasn't real for you. I mean, you would be at the effect of the outcome, but if you're just out in the woods somewhere remote part of the world or the country, it may not be affecting you personally, maybe until you couldn't get your tea, right? And you couldn't get your flour, couldn't get your sugar. Then maybe it would feel real in a new way. And and that's just, you know, a, a human nature thing. Like, it things don't feel real until it happens to you personally and i think one of the things i'm seeing and i know i'm feeling as this wire for danger kind of person who's always scouting who's always out on the edges as you can see what's happening before most people want to resonate with it and so you're yelling warning 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 and I get it, like, oh, you're too intense, or I don't want to talk to you, you're too uh, depressing, and all you talk about is doom and gloom, and it's overwhelming, and you're a bummer, and you're dragging me down, and I swear to God, if anybody says, just don't worry about it, right? Okay, I'm going to sit in my car and watch the flames come up, but don't worry about it. It's you know, we're all going to have a very different experience. And, you know, as I'm listening to these old podcasts or radio shows where people are warning, 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 right? And most of it is wrong. Most of the predictions and the prophecy is wrong. But it doesn't change the trajectory. The same, it doesn't matter what the specifics are as much as understanding the cycle, the bigger picture, the overriding themes. Uh, That's one of the things, you know, Michael Yon talks about is that there is no 
period of time in which pandemic, war, and famine do not all come together. You know, it's in the Bible, it's in history, it's global, it's, it's constant in different ways and at different levels and degrees, but there is no historical record in which those three things do not come together and create a very uncomfortable experience for the people that are directly influenced or impacted by sickness, disease, war, and famine. And it's not rocket science that those things all come together because if you're fighting or you're destroying property, or you're burning things out. And he says, you know, one of the basic training protocols for the special forces when they were to be disruptive, they would send them, he was being sent into Poland, but you were being sent to other countries to be disruptive. Don't, if you can burn it down, don't blow it up. And we're seeing within our country, all these fires going off and we don't think about them. We think, oh, there's another fire. Oh, there's another processing plant. Oh, there's another fertilizer plant because we don't understand it. And, you know, statistically it can't be coincidence, but it's hard to make that mental and emotional shift that we are at war, right? We think about what's going on at the border. We are being invaded, but I was in Yuma. I was just a few miles from the border. And I swear, every time I would, you know, I was out in the desert, so there was only, you know, RV camping people. But when I would go into town, and town was uh, 200,000 plus people, it's a pretty big town. And I would drive, I didn't see any migrants. I saw, because there was also a agricultural, so there was lots of people picking things. There were white buses that would pull two to three porta potties, right? And everybody would get out of the buses and they would go into the fields and I guess they would work for the day. So when I would go on Sunday, because it was so crowded because it's such a winter hotspot, there was tons of people that go down there. So I would go on Sundays when it was the least busy uh, oftentimes. And the only I would see groups of young men, but they looked like the workers because they were dressed in their uh, non-working clothes and they were laughing and hanging out. They weren't, you know, looking like they just traveled, you know, a thousand miles. So I saw no migrants. You know, I saw that the the mayor of Yuma was telling everybody there was an invasion and there was an overflow in the streets and there was an overflow at the hospitals and. Uh, I didn't go to the hospital, but I didn't see anybody. I felt no danger. I did not see anything that felt like the stories in the news. And that was really weird. Now, I didn't drive to the checkpoints. Uh, I thought, you know, why push it, right? But it there was no visual confirmation that we were being invaded, and yet I was standing at one of the top invasion points at the border. And that was really difficult to reconcile. And, uh, you know, I didn't feel afraid. I didn't feel like anybody was going to show up. And, uh, and yet we can hear the warnings, right, that, that people are pushing across the borders you know, 10,000 a day, 100,000 a month, right? It's just, 
it's shocking. You know, when you listen to Michael Yawn, he's very uh, busy down in the Darien Gap in Panama. Uh, and I was uh, had heard another reporter saying that what used to be 500 a day, you know, that were coming in or a month, it's now 5,000. Like the numbers are escalating. Things are starting to break down. But we don't see it. It doesn't feel real. You know, I'm listening to people talk about the child trafficking. It doesn't feel real because we're not seeing it. And so it's so hard to make this mental and emotional shift. And yet, at some point, it is very possible we are going to find ourselves in that Maui moment where Somebody is telling us, stay, you cannot move forward. So there's the fear of authority in front of us, and there's a fire in back of us. And that is the fundamental question about our nervous system. Will you push past the thing that you're afraid of in front of you, versus the thing behind you. And this is this is our spiritual journey. This is not about whether we live and die. This is about who we are as human and the decisions we make and how we respond in these crisis situations and who we will be and what we value. Do we value an authority figure telling us what to do? Or do we value trusting our eyes and our ears as the fear behind us, the thing behind us is approaching? Uh, you know, it's just shocking to watch these videos from World War II and how people just comply. There was a Christina, I can't remember her last name. She's an EU, uh, European Union Parliament member, and she's been extremely outspoken about what's happening. And she's got a video going around now saying, do not comply, do not comply. You cannot comply your way out of tyranny. And, you know, she's part of the, the, the group that is implementing all this insanity. And she's saying, don't listen to us, don't follow the rules. Uh, and we are wired to respond to fear uniquely, each of us is. Now, there's certain situations, right? Like my, my impulse is never to follow the rules when I'm in danger, but I absolutely could not bring myself to not follow the rules when it was, uh, came to my mortgage, right? So, we all have a different default in different areas. Uh, you know, lots of people don't pay bills or, and don't think about it, right? And so we all have a different combination of rules that we follow and rules that we don't follow. And we are entering a period of time where it will be more difficult to discern which rules to follow and which rules not to follow. But the consequences will also be more dire. 
And that one tiny decision of I'm going to believe the policeman and I'm not going to believe my eyes and ears and the outcome. And again, nobody thinks they're going to wake up in the morning and say, oh, I'm going to sit in a car and die because I'm afraid of the one guy standing in front of me. When there's a hundred of you or one and two of them, because what if he has a gun and what if he shoots me, right? Because we don't think about this. We don't think about, okay, that's what war is. War is that the front line advances. A lot of people on the front line die. Uh, You think about the Normandy, uh, what happened on the, the beaches of Normandy and how stupid that was in terms of numbers, right? How many people died for that one tiny advance? There's a uh, Churchill, uh, I don't really understand him. I, you know, I've, I haven't done a big deep dive, but I'm pretty sure he was like a raging case of ADHD. <laughs> uh, and he was very out of the box and he was, uh, very egotistical, but he made some really interesting and difficult decisions. And, uh, one of his big decisions was, Dunkirk and the rescue mission. And I, you know, I haven't studied it. So forgive me if I've got some of the historical facts wrong. But but what I understood is that there were 300,000 people in one place that they needed to get out. And there was another fort of 4,000 people. And he said to the country... Anybody who has a boat, we're going to go rescue these 300 people. And people responded, you know, these, they just showed up. I mean, these little tiny boats, everybody just flooded out to go rescue these 300,000 people. I'm sorry, this makes me cry. But there was another area that was taking fire and those people were sacrificed it was another fort they couldn't rescue. And all of those people died because their job was to absorb fire to keep Germans occupied so that the other 300,000 could be rescued. And that's what war is. And we don't think about that. We think, oh, I'm special. It could never happen to me. Uh, oh, sure, I would make that sacrifice or how dare you make that sacrifice, right? That's what war is. So, you know, it's unimaginable to, to make that phone call. Okay, you people all have to die so we can try and rescue these people. This is what war is. There's no easy way out. There's no magic in which people on the front lines don't die. And it's even more shocking when... It's you on the front line, and you are being sacrificed to die. And and all this yelling and all my intensity and all this hyper-focus and all this information, it feels too much. It's overwhelming. It's doom and gloom. Like, who cares, right? Oh, I'm just going to die. But what about the other side? What about down the road? What about when this crisis passes? What happens after the war? Just think about all those people who survived the concentration camps, those people who survive 
the war? Will they be glad they made that decision to do what it takes to survive? I don't know. You know, I don't know what the future holds. And I, I am feeling like, you know, we're at a pivot point uh, where it is starting to escalate and, and it's not, this is over. The world, the life that we knew, even as terrible as it's been with all the lockdowns and stuff last time, is over and gone. This war is in an escalating mode. Whether we want to know it or not, we are here. And how you make that mental emotional shift into understanding, and do we? I don't know. Depends on where you live. Understanding we are at war. And the moment may come where you are standing between an authority figure in front of you and a fire behind you. Everything about that decision is your nervous system. And if you don't understand that about yourself, you will be at the mercy of it, whether it's to freeze up and just stay in the car, whether it's to get out of the car and run to the ocean, which is what some people did, or to run forward and pull the barricade away and punch the cop or restrain him, which nobody did. Nobody got out of their car and took the cop out of the way and removed the barricade so that people would move forward. Nobody did that. I don't know how many people were standing there waiting, but let's just say there's a hundred. Nobody pushed the cop out of the way to save everybody. A few people drove around. Uh, a few people ran up the hill and a few people ran into the ocean. Nobody pushed the cop out of the way and got everybody out. And I think that's really interesting. That is our nervous system. The wire for danger person would have moved the cop out of the way and stood there until everybody passed at the sacrifice of themselves. Nobody did that. Nobody saved them. And very few saved themselves. That is a real life moment of what our nervous system will dictate for how we will respond in a crisis that is life and death and why so many people die at that point because of what their nervous system defaults them into. And the reality is, is most of us don't want to know that about ourselves because we will never think when we wake up in the morning, I will be the person, you should see my hands, I'm like visually holding the cop and the fire and the space in between, right? Uh, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I'm just going to sit in my car and die because some guy is standing in front of me telling me not to move forward while the flames are coming at me. I'm just going to wait and hope it all works out because that couldn't happen. Nobody would tell me just to sit and get burned, right? Nobody would do that. No real person would just stand there 
and say, I'm following orders, and I would just sit in my car and wait for the fire to engulf me. I would get out. I would run to the ocean. I would uh, run past the police officer. I would wrestle the police officer to the ground. No, nobody wrestled the police officer to the ground. Most people did not run away. Most people just waited for permission to live. And we just don't want to know that about ourselves. But that is who we are. And I'm sorry I have been so intense and depressing. And I'm trying to make that shift, but I didn't want to miss this moment. So uh, with that, this has gone on for quite some time. You got my point. We are at war. War is ugly and war is life and death. And the only person who cares about you is you. So I just wanted to hit this before I'm trying to shift out of this. But deep breath. Who knows what we'll talk about next because who knows what will happen next. And with that, I hope you have a fabulous weekend. Uh, I appreciate you all being here. My heart is with you regardless of your making it to the end here. And with that, I will see you next time.